When the pandemic hit in 2020, it didn't take long for terrorist groups to take advantage of it. ISIS set up a website to ostensibly sell face masks, but really to get money peddling their inferior products. But a team from the FBI, IRS criminal investigations, and Homeland Security investigations stopped this activity by seizing 300 cryptocurrency accounts worth $2 million. And that's not all. For their work, they're finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. Joining me from the team is Chris Janczewski. He's formerly the IRS. Chris, good to have you with us. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. And we should point out that Ryan Landers of Homeland Security Investigations and Kyle Armstrong from the FBI were your cohorts in this. Well, let's begin at the beginning. What led you to believe that ISIS was behind one of probably hundreds of websites that popped up selling face masks and Purell and whatever else was in short supply at that point? What was your clue that there was something bad going on here? Yeah, so initially it kind of spun off from another case that had been worked previously by federal law enforcement. There was a financier who was previously charged for a different case and saw that they had relations to somebody that had actually set up the site on behalf of ISIS. So we knew that this person had connections to ISIS, knew that they were up to trying to generate financing for them, and then connected them to the website. This person was American or a foreign national? Foreign national. Got it. And so tell us the genesis of this interagency team that was set up. Apparently, you all felt at some point that there needed to be a dedicated interagency team on this very effort in the early days of the pandemic. Yeah, actually, we were nominated for the award for three different distinct cases. So we actually disrupted financing for ISIS, as you mentioned, but also Hamas's military wing, AQB, and then also another case related to Al-Qaeda's financing. And the kind of backbone for this entire team was Zia Faruqi in the U.S. Attorney's Office based in Washington, D.C. And so we had worked together on a few other cases, really had some great collaboration. And I think that's kind of what led to our success and be able to pivot between these three different distinct cases. is just, like you said, the interagency collaboration. And by the way, if someone sent money to this site that was set up in this case by ISIS, did they actually send masks to people? No, they didn't. That's what was kind of most disturbing about this is that one, they were getting ripped off in the time of severe need. So there's the opportunity cost. They no longer have the money to be able to send for additional supplies, perhaps. But additionally, they were going to fund a illegitimate group. What worst way could they have actually contributed? And what did you do? What was the procedure? How did you get at this? And what was the tie-in with cryptocurrency? It seems like every international crime somehow has to do with cryptocurrency these days. So this one wasn't as specifically related to cryptocurrency as the two other cases, which we can speak about. And this one, we really just made a decision that we needed to act quickly and disrupt this fraud. So we moved quickly to take down the website, take down the related Facebook pages, and then work with our foreign law enforcement partners to be able to address the people behind the website. And you were also, in other cases, able to get the Bitcoin and in some cases divert the money back to the government in the first place for a victim's compensation fund. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Hamas case specifically, we were able to make a mirror image of Hamas's website where they were directing people to send payments to their Bitcoin addresses. So for 30 days, we stood up our own web page that looked exactly like that. And we put our, the U.S. government's Bitcoin addresses and email addresses in it. So if somebody went to the website thinking they were actually going to donate to Hamas's military wing, instead they were sending money to the U.S. government. And those funds are then turn around and go to the victims of terrorist funds. So think of the people that were victims from 9-11 and received compensation, which we really thought was a great cause. Instead of money going to terrorists, of course, we're then turning around and going to the exact people they were intending to hurt. 
We're speaking with Chris Jancheski, formerly of the IRS. We'll get into that in a moment. He, along with Kyle Armstrong of the FBI and Ryan Landers of Homeland Security Investigations, are finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. And so is the task force now wound up? Uh, you got these three terrorist groups kind of in tow for this purpose, but it strikes me that they're at work other places in the world and that it seems like this could almost be an ongoing effort. Certainly. The work's never done. This was just kind of one chapter in the U.S. law enforcement's fight against terrorist financing. And you know, this kind of just highlights one example, well, three examples, but one example of a team working together to be able to combat this. So the team will continue or just the techniques that it learned will be passed on to others? So most of the people from the team promoted on or left the government. For example, the lead prosecutor, Zia Fruki, went on to become a magistrate judge. Another prosecutor, Jesse Brooks, went to the private sector. Myself, Kyle Armstrong, both left to go to TRM Labs, a blockchain analytic company. Ryan Landers promoted on. So the team kind of disbanded in some parts. So thankfully, we all kind of grew and were able to continue on our careers, thanks in part to this case. But there are other people that were a part of it and helped. And I hopefully believe they learned from some of the techniques that we deployed and we'll be able to share on. And you have gone to a company you mentioned that deals in bitcoins. Tell us a little bit more about that. You and I guess Kyle Armstrong are at the same company now. Yeah, that's right. And so one of the things that I focused on as a special agent was tracing cryptocurrency payments. For example, if somebody sent a donation to Hamas and we wanted to see who sent it, where did it go? That would be something that I would dig into. And TRM Labs provides software that's able to be able to track cryptocurrency payments and use of investigations like that. Got it. And how did you come to this work? I mean, you look young from what I can see on our video (laughs) chat here. You've already been to IRS investigations. Now you're in the private sector. Tell us about your goals and your career and how you got to this spot. Yeah, I'd like to say that I had this brilliant five-year plan to be able to be here with you today. Uh, It wasn't that well thought out in that respect coming out of college, knew that I wanted to be a special agent. I just studied accounting and the IRS made the most sense for me. And then it was a remarkable journey. The last six years, I focused on cybercrime and cryptocurrency payments. Given that IRS, we follow the money. That was really something that we focused on in regards to cryptocurrency. And then ultimately, I just wanted to do cool cases with great people. And so that's how I linked up with Kyle Landers, Zia, Jesse Brooks, and others to be able to pivot from these three different terrorist cases. Previously, we looked at child exploitation. We looked at North Korea, hacks of cryptocurrency exchanges. And this most recently in February, the team led by Alden Pelker and Jessica Peck seized $3.6 billion in Bitcoin. Wow. Well, let's hope the government in one way or another benefits from you in the future in some form of service. Chris Jancheski is formerly of the IRS. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. And he, along with Kyle Armstrong, formerly of the FBI, and Ryan Landers of Homeland Security Investigations are finalists in this year's Service to America Medals program. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, 
and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same. Uh, Whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. and, and, And he was just really honest with me. And he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, 
You know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Celebrate this holiday season by sending money to your loved ones with Western Union. As a new customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee when you send money online. For fast and reliable money transfers, use Western Union. Visit westernunion.com or download our app today to get started and your first transfer fee is on us. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983 or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985. FX Gain Supply.